Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Jesus is that hope. He's the hope of the world. And I know that Christmas is such a joyous season, but for many it's not flooded with memories of loved ones maybe hard memories but I can tell you this that when you focus on Jesus all those depressing thoughts they lose their power and I I really as we were worshiping I, I Guys, you know me well enough that if I, if I have a passing thought in my head, I'm going to lean into it because I don't ever want to miss an opportunity for God, for the Lord to minister to someone. But I had this thought go through my head is there's someone that's been diagnosed with clinical depression. And it was, it's a recent thing. And and I, I just I just want to tell you that Jesus is your hope and that you're there's not a stigma there's nothing like that God loves you and I, I just I want to take a moment and pray because there's a lot of people and myself included in this I go through Christmas and I have joy because of my children but I also have sorrow because I miss my mom and and it can be it can be depressing I want to pray for us that we focus on who Jesus is. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength and the enemy goes after the goodness of God and the joy of God that he gives us. That doesn't mean that we're always happy. That just means that we are focused on him, that what he's done for us is greater than what we've gone through. And Jesus, I just pray for your people those who are struggling this season with anxiety and depression. Lord God, I just bind the lies of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Satan, you are a liar. I bind your words and I bind the hypotheticals that are causing people to walk in fear. And Lord, I just release your truth that you are a God that loves us, that you are a God that walks with us. You are a God that that helps us in these areas that we don't know how to handle. Lord Jesus, that's why you came. There are things that we're not designed to carry, but you carried for us. So we bring our brokenness to you. We bring our depression, our anxiety, our, our, our physical needs to the feet of Jesus. And we say, have your way, Father. And Lord, I pray right now, as we transition from a time of worship in your word to a time of worship in your word, I pray right now that you will minister to us. Lord, your word is so powerful and pointed. Lord, it does all the work on its own. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lord, my words are faulted. I need you to speak through me. I need you, Father, 
to anoint me so that your word will carry more weight. Lord, people don't need another message. They don't need to hear this guy right here. They need to hear from you, Holy Spirit. We need to hear from you, Holy Spirit. Church, let's, let's just do something real quick. Let's, let, let's say this together. Father, speak to me. Open my heart to receive. I need you. I need to hear from you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And I pray that we prayed that and meant that. God loves you. We have a, a great God. Thank you. You may be seated. Man, it's an amazing... I don't always say this, but it's awesome that we have not just a very talented worship team, but anointed worship teams. I've been in ministry long enough, and I've been in church long enough to know the difference. It's great to have a talented worship team, but if there's no anointing on it, it's just a song. And it's great to have an anointed worship team, but there's no talent on it. It still hurts your ears. But it's great to have an anointed and talented worship team and um, that, that really do go after the heart of God. And so I don't always say that, but thank you guys for showing up early every Sunday and, and giving Jesus your lives as a living sacrifice. With that said, I haven't done this in a very long time, but I'm going to share a joke. I... I'm sorry, I have to. Um, I have a couple of them that, that are loaded. Um, I cut my beard off this last Monday, and I just got sick of using more hairspray on my beard than my wife did on her head. Um, and it was just a hassle. But as I looked at it and mourned it and then buried it, I'm, I'm joking, I didn't bury my beard. Um, but I looked at it, I realized I have a lot of ginger in my beard, all these red hairs throughout my beard in different shades. And I was like, oh my goodness, my beard was a transgender. <laughs> oh, you can't say that. Get that guy off the stage. Take the mic. Sorry, I'm sorry. I, I heard this joke this morning. Um, and I'm going to share it. I'm going to give Greg Atwill. And so if you don't like it, it's his joke. Um, but this, this guy, his wife went missing for seven days. And the wife, uh, um, the police walked up and said, sir, I, I think you need to prepare for the worst. And he's like, okay. So we went back to Goodwill and got all our clothes back. Oh, come on. That, that's just awful. That's just awful. Stop it. Stop it. All right, all right. That's enough humor. This is the church of the living God. We're not allowed to laugh in here. Are you joking? You guys must be Pentecostal. 
We're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. And we're actually going to look at the birth of a baby, just not Jesus. We're going to look at the birth of John the Baptist. And you're like, well, that's not like very Christmassy. I, I see, this is where I would beg to differ. It is inter, the, the John, John the Baptist's story is interwoven with Jesus' story for a reason. Even in John chapter 1, and he doesn't talk about the Bethlehem or anything. John, John's gospel, he looks at the deity of Christ. And even in that chapter, he interweaves John the Baptist when he's describing Jesus. And we, we hear about the proclamation that Elizabeth is going to be, in, uh, that she's going to get pregnant before Mary hears that she's going to get pregnant. In fact, in part of the declaration to Mary that um, when, when, the, when Mary asked, how can this be? I've never been with the man. And, and the angel says, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. But he says, your cousin Elizabeth in her old age is six months pregnant and expecting. So even in the news that Jesus was going to be born, God tells Mary that John's going to be born. And then on top of that, we, we know that, that Zechariah, John's father, he was um, on duty to serve in the temple. And it's an amazing story. And it's like a once-in-a-lifetime type of service. He finally got drawn to go in and do all these ceremonial things to serve in the temple because there's so many Levites. And his clan happened to be up, and he actually got picked. And he goes in there, and all of a sudden, Gabriel's just standing in the temple. Like, you know, it scares Zechariah, and, and he says, you are going to have a son, and you're to name him John. And you're, he said, your wife, you're going to get your wife, Elizabeth, pregnant. And Zechariah laughs, because he's like, my wife's old. That would never happen. And then Gabriel says, I am Gabriel, the archangel. I have stood in the presence of God. You will not speak until the child is born. And then Zechariah's mouth, his voice is muted. He can make gestures, can't make sounds. And every wife's like, God, please, please. And we step into this narrative nine months after this announcement. Clearly, he could still write. He told Elizabeth. He wrote it all down. Wasted a lot of paper. Um, probably in those nine months. And paper wasn't readily um, easy to come by. Which, what, what, here, here's something ironic. has nothing to do with my message. But we went from writing on tablets to writing on scrolls to now, and to, 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 um, to, you know, we used to write books on tablets, then scrolls, then we wrote down books, but now we scroll through books on our tablets. So that's, uh, but we, we step into this, um, Luke chapter 1, 57 through 66. It says, when, oh, I'll just read it from my iPad. Oh, there it is. Cool. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard 
that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. So this was, if you go back and read, it was a very bad stigma for a woman to never give birth to a child in Israel at the time. Because children were like a sign of God's blessing. I would say it's still a sign of God's blessing. God still blesses us, and children are a blessing from God, but it's not like a stigma. If, like, you don't want to have kids, you don't have kids. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, but at the same time, for a woman like Elizabeth to live that long, we don't know exactly how old she was, but for her to live that long and not to have a child, people would be like, there must be sin in their lives. or They, they would judge because... Children were such a sign of God's favor on a household. And so when she finally got pregnant, her neighbors were rejoicing. Like, God has been merciful to you that even in your old age you got pregnant. And I don't know one older female that would say that's mercy. But then it was. And everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby... When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, which would be traditional. We still name children after their dads today. My son's name is Peyton Ryan Tatham. My name is Ryan Tatham. And that was the worst decision I think I've ever made. Because every time Amy goes, Peyton Ryan, all I hear is Ryan. And I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Um. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. Actually, let's read it properly. No, one more time. No, his name is John. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. They wanted to name him a family name, and Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. Why did she say this? Because when the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, they said, you will have a son, and you are to name him John. That's pretty important. What? They exclaimed. There is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. Clearly this woman's crazy. Let's ask the person who actually gets to make the decisions what he wants to name his son. Because that's how it was back then. The father made the final say. He motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again and begin praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. I love when God does something. Let's never lose that awe of God. You know, sometimes I think we get so busy when God does something in our life, we don't step back and really, whoa, praise God. And the news of what happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard 
about it, reflect it on these events and ask, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord is surely upon him in a special way. There are two children that are encapsulated in this narrative of Christmas. Jesus and John. Jesus obviously being the main character, what the whole thing is about. All glory to him. And John would say the same thing. But John plays such an intrinsic role. And I think it would be horridly ill of us to overlook this moment in Scripture. Both John and Jesus are children of prophecy. It was prophesied that John would be born. Elijah will come and prepare the way for the Lord. Both have a distinct call on their life right from the womb. Both were announced by an angel. Both were filled with the spirit of the living God in the womb. Jesus obviously being a product of the Holy Spirit, being conceived by the Holy Spirit. John being filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary walked in pregnant with Jesus and Elizabeth was there to greet her. The Holy Spirit filled John in the womb. Like, from the start, the Holy Spirit's like, here's your purpose. He's just in that other womb. Both were given names by God. So, I want to give you two thoughts today. The first thought is, it is God who gives identity. It is God who gives identity. God literally named John. He literally named him. He told, just like he told Joseph and Mary to name their son Jesus. We say Jesus. They probably would have said Joshua, which means Savior. Jesus, we, I don't know why we translate it, but it's probably more accurately would be Jehovah Joshua or Yeshua. But John literally means graced by God. It's a pretty powerful name. I, like, that's awesome. If your name's John, congratulations. You're graced by God. God might not have literally named you, but the reality is he does have an identity, an identity for you. And... I want to look at that today because God gives identity. As John grew and looked at the scriptures and heard the story of his birth, he had to lean into the identity that God gave him to fulfill the purpose that God had for him. So let's just take a moment and kind of do a 30,000 foot view of what's going on here. Everyone around Elizabeth and Zechariah wanted to name the child a family name. Let's give him a good, strong family name. Nothing wrong with that. Because 
The names in Zechariah's line were associated with his tribe and priestly duties. Zechariah was a priest, and so he served at the temple. And no doubt when you, when you get a priestly name, that's probably just you're going to follow your father's footsteps. John was going to be a priest. But here's the thing. God had a different identity for John. God didn't want John to be a priest. He wanted him to be a prophet. The last of the Old Testament prophets. In fact, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, Jesus said. But God had already told Zechariah, and Zechariah probably wrote to his wife and told her that our son is going to be named John. So here's a question. Because there are people in here that are in the same situation right now. You're not pregnant or anything like that. But there is a very real reality that our enemy wants to put a name on you. And he might be using other people to put a name on you. Like in in John's case, it was the friends of the family. They wanted to, to name John something contrary to what God had said. And in our case, we have an enemy that might use people to put a name on you. What do you do? When the enemy wants to give you a good family name. Maybe you didn't have a dad. And you're trying to figure out parenting. Or you have a bad dad and the enemy's like, you're just going to be a bad dad. Or maybe you didn't have a mom and you're trying to figure out being a mom and the enemy's like, or you had a horrible mom and you're like, you're, you're just going to turn out just like your, your mom. Or maybe you have a history of drug addiction, the enemy's, and your family has a history with drug addiction or alcoholism. He's like, you're just going to be alcoholic. You're going to just, you're just going to, or short-tempered. I've heard this. I I just can't control my temper. I'm like, yes, you can. Like, you might be predisposed to having a quick temper, but the Bible says be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. The Holy Spirit gives us self-control, so you can control it. Don't make excuses for things that you need to surrender to God. Well, my, 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 my dad was always angry. And, and, and so the enemy, he takes and he tries to put a good family name on you. Well, you're just a porn addict. You're just an alcoholic. You're just a drug addict. You're just depressed. Your mom was depressed. You're going to be depressed. Your mom or your dad was anxious. You're going to be anxious. You're going to worry. It's just like, oh, my parents are always worrying. I'm just, I'm just, I've just inherited it. I'm pretty sure that's not in your DNA. It's a learned thing. But the enemy wants you to think, oh, this is hereditary. You can't kick it. He wants to put a good family name on you. But the problem is, it's God who gives identity. The enemy has no authority or right to put any identity on you except what God says about you. So what do we do? What do we do when the enemy says, oh, you're just going to be sick. Sickness is in your family. Oh, you're always going to just struggle with money because that's, that's just in your family. When he tries to put that on you. I think we need to be like Zechariah and Elizabeth. First, be like Elizabeth. What did she say? No. Right out the gate it says no exclamation point. That's not a no. 
No, I'm sorry, no. That's, no! That's not my name. That's not my identity. She said, his name is John. We can say, no, my name is Son of God. My name is more than a conqueror. My name is loved by God. My name is called and anointed by the Father. Elizabeth declared what the Lord had said. Some of us need to get in the habit of declaring what the Lord says about you. I've gone through this time and time again. I have a whole list of personal declarations, and I'm not going to go through them. But I go through and declare what the Lord says about me. And the reason why I do that is because if I don't remind myself of who I am in God, the enemy will remind me of who I am without God. And he's so good at it. He'll say, oh, dude, you're just a porn addict. You struggle with that from the time you were 12 all the way through. And, and he'll remind me, no, that's not my identity anymore. The, whom the son sets free is free indeed. I am free. Oh, you're just depressed. You're always going to, you know, I, I struggle with depression so much because of I didn't confess that sin. And I almost committed suicide. He wants to bring back, he always wants to bring up my past. I, I, I can't speak for you guys. I'm sure he never does that to you. But he always wants to identify me by the things I used to do. But the reality is, I'm not, I, that's, that's such a small portion. Seven years of my life, I'm 34 years old and getting older, but better looking. That's the, that's the key. When you get older, you got to get better looking. I'm just joking. Right, Ames? <laughs> I, I'll take your silence as a yes. Um, I, I know in my life, I have to say, no, that's not who I am. And, and he brings it up. He'll make you feel guilty over things you've given to God, you've confessed, and you repented of. And stuff that you're not even walking in anymore. So we got to be like Elizabeth. We got to declare who I am. No, my identity is in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Whew. That's my identity. I'm wrapped in Jesus. I'm a son of God. You're a child of God. That's who you are. Because the enemy will always try to give you a good family name. He'll always do it. He'll bring up every part of your history. He'll bring up every, every shortcoming. It's so interesting because the enemy knows our name, but he calls us by our sin. But God knows our sin. He calls us by our name because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants a relationship with you. And the second thing I think we need to do, we need to be like Zechariah. We need to write it down. There's something so powerful when you write down the truth of God, not just declare it. We do need to declare it because we need, I think we need to worship God with all of our senses. We need to declare it. We need to hear it. And then we need to write it so we remember it. What did Zechariah do? He grabbed a tablet 
and he wrote it down. He says, his name is John. He stood on the identity that God gave. And what happened when he did that? They declared it. The enemy is like, oh, well, I can convince a declaration. I can shift a declaration. Oh, I can, I can take uh, confidence away from a declaration. But there's something powerful about when we declare and we write and we believe like when you start writing things and you declare things, you start believing things. And, and when he, be, he wrote it down and he stood on the, what God said, things opened up. What opened? His mouth. What's the first thing that came out of his mouth? Praise. It wasn't, honey, I love you. It was praise to God. His son is born. Imagine what Zechariah was thinking. Because the angel said, you won't speak until your child is born. We're eight days after this, and he's still not speaking. He's like, Lord, I don't know what you define as born, but I'm holding my son in my hands, but I still can't even say his name. But I'm telling you, the Lord laid this on my heart so strong when I was going through this last night. Some of us need to do this. In this room, you need, which is so interesting that Pastor Nathan, the Lord laid that on his heart to say, because I really felt like this is what the Lord told me to tell you today. I felt like he said, test me in this. I want you to declare what I say about you. I want you to write what I say about you and see if praise will not flow out of you. See, a praise will not flow out. The natural overflow of standing in the identity of God is praise. Because there's nothing we can earn to, to, to get his identity on our life. There's no, no way we can earn it. But when we stand in the identity, when we declare the identity, when we go against what people and the enemy wants to put on us, and so often we like the enemy, oh, Satan, he's, he's always, and yeah, he'll put thoughts in your head and all that stuff, but so often he'll use people to do it. These were well-intentioned people. They were friends of the family. Like, well, he would never use them. Yeah, he will. You guys have never met my sisters or my in-laws. No, but he will. He'll use people that you're close to to try to get you to steer off course for God's purpose in your life and God's identity on you. And I'm telling you, declare it. You search out the word of God. I'm going to give you two examples. There's dozens upon dozens in, in Romans alone of what God says about your identity. Start in Romans. Read it. And what, what does God say about you? Open it up. Open up the New Testament. What does God say about you? Write it down. Declare it over yourself and see if praise will not follow. If see if your mind doesn't shift to what God says and not the identity that he's that the enemy's trying to put on you. So what does God say about you? What identity does God give us? 1 Peter 2.9. Let's read it together. We don't have to read it together, but let's look at it. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. Right out the gate. Peter's writing to the church. What are you? You are a chosen people. 
Have you guys ever been at recess and you didn't get picked for the team? You're like the leftovers? That's not God. He chose you. He chose you. You're a chosen people. You are royal priest. You're not just priest. You're royal priest. You have the blood of Jesus, the son of God. If you, are, if you put your faith in Christ, you are a co-heir with Christ. That means the same blood that runs through Jesus' veins is all over. You are, you are part of the family. You are royalty. You are royal priest. You are a holy nation, the church. We're not just some sects of Presbyterian, a Baptist, a Church of Christ, Assembly of God. No, we are a holy nation. We are the church collectively. That's our identity. Before I am American, I am a Christ follower. I am, my, the Bible says, the Bible says that, that I am a sojourner. I am a foreigner on this earth. So my home is in heaven. I'm just visiting here. Because my nation is not here. I love the United States and I love my Second Amendment. But, and my First Amendment, because it gives me the right to do this. But my, my nation is in heaven with Jesus. And then he says, what, what does he say? God's very own possession. Some translations read it this way. You are God's prized possession. No one else Nothing else did God send his own son to die to purchase and to pay off your debt of sin. You are God's prized possession. He paid too much of a price for you. He loves you. Whether you feel it sometimes, like so often we, we go on our feelings, and we're not supposed to go on our feelings because our, our feelings will deceive us. Like, oh, I don't feel loved. Love is not a feeling. It's a command. It's a choice. I don't feel the presence of God. Whether you feel it or not, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always. Whether you feel him or not, he is with you. He's with you in the storm. He's with you everywhere. You are God's prized possession. That's what the Bible says about you. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, that's a loaded statement. What does that mean? Like, when the Bible says God is light in him, there is no darkness at all. So he called you out and he opened your eyes and you can see like, whoa, I am his son. I am his daughter. I am his prized possession. I don't have to give in to fear, anxiety. I don't have to worry when a diagnosis doesn't go my way. I, don't have, I can just trust that God is good and that he is working good for me and I can believe him. This is just one example. This is one that I normally don't use. You guys have seen the other ones. 1 Peter 2.9. Write it down. Man, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a chosen person. I'm a royal priest. I'm a holy nation. I'm, I'm God's prized possession. I'm, I'm, I'm called into his wonderful light. I'm in his light. Write, write it down. Declare it. A second one I'm going to read with you. Galatians chapter 3. And I'm gonna I'm gonna read the context around this because I think context brings such beauty. Galatians chapter 3, 23 through 29. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law, 
So we had to work our way to God. That's what the law does. Like, do this, don't do that. Don't do this, do this. So I have to do all these things to get right with God. And it, But God was guarding us with the law. But it's like the law was our foster home. It wasn't our permanent home. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let's keep going. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. The law couldn't make us right with God, but it did keep us moral. Like God's moral law. That's really what it was. It kept us moral. It kept us going off the deep and sacrificing children and doing crazy things like that. And to... And it allowed us to worship God, have some sort of communication, but it wasn't, it wasn't full adoption. And now, that way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What's your identity? Your children of God. You're children of God. What identity does God place on you? You're mine. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. It's like you take his identity. My children were born. I remember when I, I wrote their name down. I put Tatham at the end. They are mine. That's my identity on them. And when, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Lord puts Christ on us. He covers us in his identity. Like putting on new clothes. Let's keep going. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. What is this saying? This is not saying what the world would want it to say. What this is saying is when God sees you, when the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of God. He sees Jesus all over you. Because we can't come before the Father except through Christ and his righteousness. Well, righteousness is a really churchy word. All simply put, it means we are right with God. We have right standing with God. That's it. That's our identity. We are made right with God. And so when God sees us, he sees Jesus. Let's keep going. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. So your heirs, your children of God, you're righteous. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. What did God promise Abraham? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. Well, that's just, that's just to Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. That's your identity. It's God who gives identity. It's God who gives identity. 
Declare it like Elizabeth. When the enemy comes in and tries to convince you you are anything but who God says you are, write it down like Zechariah. Write it down. Read it and see if praise will not come out of your mouth when you look at what all God has done for you. You are a child of God. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus. You are beloved of God. You are God's prized possession. You might not feel like you are God's prized possession. But if you paid what he paid, you would feel that way. God paid way too high a price for you not to be his prized possession. Say it out loud and write it down. See if believing God's identity for you won't break things, in your, break things free in your life. I, I, in fact, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to step out in a, on a limb. Actually, it's not even a limb. It's a firm foundation. It's Jesus. When you start believing what God says about you, things will break off of your life. When you start believing and taking God at his word, things will break out of your life. I'm not just talking like anxiety, depression, which are big deals. I'm talking when you start believing God. God, you are my healer. You will start experiencing healing. It's really, like, I know that seems so simple. I know, but that's it. God made it that simple. Throughout the Gospels, What did he say? Your faith has made you well. They just believed Jesus could do what he said he did. They believed God. There's something so powerful about when we take God at his word. And and that's why it's so important to get into the word, to study the word so we can take God at his word, so we can stand in the identity of God for us. When you start believing God, things will fall off of your life. Just like, John, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they stood on what God said and things broke. And people rejoiced and the whole countryside rejoiced. Now it's up to you. Are you going to start believing what God says about you? Are you going to stand on the identity that God has for you? I dare you. I dare you. See what happens. All Elizabeth and Zechariah did was believe God and stood on his identity for their son. They recognized it was God who gives identity. And the second thought I want to I give it to you quickly. It is God who gives purpose. It is God who gives purpose. It's when we embrace the identity God has for us, we are able to walk in the purpose God put on us. When we embrace the identity that God has for us, we're able to walk in the purpose that God put on us. God gave John purpose from the start. He was to make the way, make way for Jesus to prepare the way for the Messiah. 
even his preg- even the, the pregnancy that Elizabeth went through, it was to make way. Think about it. He got Elizabeth got pregnant six months before Mary got pregnant. So this teenager walking into Elizabeth's home, Elizabeth was able to say, hey, hey, that's normal. It's okay. That's, that's what happens. Even, even at the, that, that early stage, God was using John to make way for Jesus. Right from the start. And you keep going. John's purpose as he launched into ministry was to turn the hearts of the people to God so when Jesus stepped on the scene, their hearts would be ready to receive. What was John's message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Who's the kingdom of heaven? It's Jesus. And John had a flourishing ministry. And he knew from the start his whole role was to play second fiddle to Jesus. Jesus, his ministry wasn't even launched when John John had a thriving ministry. He was baptizing people. People were repenting. People would go out. The kings would go out. Officials would go out to listen to this man named John at the Jordan. Crazy dude. Probably what I looked like last week. Big beard, lit, wore camel hair clothing. I mean, like, ate locusts. This guy was crazy. But he wasn't afraid to speak truth. He called people out. And he knew when Jesus stepped up, his whole job was done. And he surrendered it. Some of us think that that our purpose has to be big and grand. No, what if your purpose is to play second fiddle? What if your purpose is just to be an encourager? What if God put you on earth just to encourage people around you and no one ever even reckoned? You know what I'm saying? Like you just walk up and you're just a breath of fresh air into people's lives. What if that's your God-given purpose and you keep looking for something else? What if your God-given purpose is to be a prayer warrior and to pray people through circumstances and no one might even know you're praying for them, but you are praying. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be on a stage. It doesn't have to be where people can see it. It's what God has for you and just walk in obedience. John's purpose, it was a thriving ministry. It was a big deal. But you know what he did intentionally when Jesus showed up? Let's read it. It's John chapter 3, 28 through 30. Because this is how popular John was. People were saying, oh, John the Baptist. Oh, the, John the Baptizer. He is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. And he, had to keep, he constantly had to refute that. He's like, I'm not the Messiah. That guy's the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And this is what he says. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. Let's keep going. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I... And filled with joy at his success. Because what's happening? The context. John's disciples come back and they're, they're telling John, like, dude, Jesus is baptizing more people than us now. Like, Jesus is over there. Like, we have hundreds gathered. He has thousands gathered. 
And like, what do you want us to do? And John's just like, yes, my purpose, my purpose, yes. Oh, Jesus, he's stepping in. My job is done. And he's filled with joy to see Jesus succeed. That was his purpose. If your purpose is to play second fiddle, are you okay with that? Let's keep going. He must, and this is the, the famous quote that we attribute to John. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John's purpose was to make way for the king. His whole job, he even, he even started sending people to Jesus. He, he intentionally shrunk his ministry so they would go to Jesus. He intentionally sent two disciples that we know of that became apostles, Philip and Andrew. They were following John. John was their rabbi, his, their, their teacher. And John says, no, I need you to go listen to the rabbi of rabbis, Jesus. This is my purpose, to make way for him. Because it is God who gives purpose. When we walk out the purpose God gives us, there is joy in that. Some of us are chasing purpose that God did not give us and we can't find joy. And I'm not talking about happiness. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about pure joy. Well, I, I think there is something to be said of God. What do you want me to do? Then do that. There's joy in doing what God has for you. Some of you are grinding because we aren't leaning into the purpose God has for our lives. We wonder, where is joy and peace? Because you're not walking in the purpose that God's placed on you. And it doesn't have to be glamorous. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be... It can go hidden. Because your purpose is between you and God. But your responsibility is to do it. Maybe it is just to send an encouraging note. Check in on people. Maybe that's your God given. God's given you these. Maybe it's to, to inspire faith in people. You just, you, you have this uncanny ability just to believe God. Maybe that's your purpose. You might not ever have a microphone in your hand. You might not ever, but that's okay. It's not about that. It's about obeying purpose. It doesn't have to be flashy or pay. It might go unnoticed. It might be like John's purpose to help others walk in theirs. But here's a true statement. Not that the rest were wrong. We owe it to God to find our purpose. And here's the thing, God's not hiding it from you. I think we get so busy with all these other things that it really is as simple as, God, what do you have me to do? And then do that. And I, I believe that God might change 
change things over the course of time. He might have you for a season in this location doing something, and then in the next season, he might change it. I thought I was going to retire a youth pastor. I wanted to retire a youth pastor, but the Lord shifted me. Money does not get to dictate to the spender where it gets spent. And if we're money in God's hands, we don't get to dictate to God where he spends us. So when he started laying lead pastor on my heart, I thought, well, that can't be God. (laughs) And the more I leaned in, I said, God, what do you have me to do? And he's like, I told you. I'm like, okay. So I just started putting my resume out. And and one thing led to another, and here we are married. (laughs) We're about to celebrate a four-year anniversary, church. He's not hiding his purpose from you. It's God who gives identity. It's God who gives purpose. I can, I can promise you this. The enemy also has ideas for your purpose. And he will t- try to tell you. I actually had a former student that he is, he's in college now, about to graduate. And he called me because he's like, I feel the Lord leading me to do, to do this, but my family is telling me, to, don't do that. And all these other people are telling, oh, do this. And I'm like... I'm going to tell you this. I said, this will be the most annoying advice you've ever heard, but it's the most needed. You need to get alone with God and pray until you have peace in the decision. I said, because people, like God will use people to give you wisdom. But at the end of the day, with our purpose, our calling, and our identity, it's God. And we need to hear from him. And some of us today need to hear from God about our purpose. The first first purpose God has for your life is he wants to give us life. He wants a relationship with Jesus. If you've walked your whole life to this point, and you've never surrendered to Jesus. You never said, God, forgive me of my sin. Come be Lord of my life. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross in my place for my sin. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And you've never put your faith, and you've never said, God, come be Lord of my life. That's the first purpose. God wants eternal life with you. God wants, and eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts now. It starts now. The Bible says when we are in Christ, when we we get born again, the Bible says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Well, I'm not seated with Christ in heavenly places. Well, something in me is because the Bible says it. My eternal life starts now, so all death is is a transition to experience it more. And it starts, that's the first purpose God has for you. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, as as the ultimate debt-paying sacrifice for our sin. Well, God, and and what debt did we have? We had a debt to God that we couldn't pay. But God paid it. 
And it's so simple. It's just believe God. It's just like Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. They believed God. They stood on what God said. They believed him. John 5, 24 says this. This is Jesus speaking. This is what Jesus says about salvation. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. He didn't say they will have eternal life. He says they have eternal life. And he says they will never be condemned for their sins. Why? Because they have already passed from death into life. When we believe God, we pass from death into life. It's and if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered, that's the first purpose God has for you. Maybe you're here today and um, you have given your heart to Jesus. And you're grinding and you're not finding that joy and you're not finding that peace that, that the Lord promises. And, and you just need alone time with God. The altars are open. You can pray in your seats. I, I don't care what you do. I just want you to go before God and say, God, what do you have for me? Because what I'm doing isn't working. And maybe we need to re-surrender our lives to his purpose and his identity. Some of us maybe have been listening. I believe some of us have been listening to the lies of the enemy for so long that we've convinced ourselves that is truth. But when you hear the truth of God, it rubs you wrong because he's saying, repent. <laughs> some of us just need to repent and say, God, I believe you. And this is how I want to respond. If you need Jesus to forgive your sins and be Lord of your life, I'm going to be right up here. Amy's going to be right up here. Nathan's going to be right up here. I want you to come forward and give your heart to Jesus. That's the first purpose God has for you. Maybe you're here and you just say, I just need prayer. I just need prayer. We're going to be up here to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you just say, I need to pray alone. This is a alone thing. The altars are open. You can come up here and pray. But what I don't want to happen is us to listen to fear. That, that, that the, the same way the Holy Spirit speaks, that passing thought, fear speaks. And he says, oh, don't go up there. People will judge you. Or, oh, you don't really need to respond. It's all good. Oh, yeah. Oh, this feeling will pass as soon as you get out. It, it might. But I can tell you that you can surrender that conviction to the Lord and walk out with joy and peace and identity. So don't listen to fear. Listen to the Spirit.